This is the What Matters Most podcast. A 100% listener-supported program. And now, here is your host, Paul Samuel Dolman. Welcome back to What Matters Most, my beautiful audience all over the world. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks to the Patreons who support the show and everyone who writes in. Thank you to Matthew Wayne Selznick, our technical wizard on the West Coast. I have a beautiful show for you today. It is about one of the great mystical teachers, spiritual teachers of this last 60 years, Ram Das, who I've had personal experiences with. I'll talk about that later. Two incredible women have written this book called You Are the Universe. Ram Das maps the journey. And Amy Butens is with us today to talk about it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. I'm so honored to be here. How did your journey with Ram Dass first start? Maybe it came like a lot of people experienced coming into Ram Dass. I was in, it was in the 90s and I was into the Grateful Dead and, you know, they had mentioned him a couple of times and I checked out his teachings, but he had written, Ram Dass had written, I guess it was like a poem or something for his eulogy when Jerry died. And I don't even really remember what it talked about, but it said, you know, certain things that I just thought, wow, that is so fascinating. Like unity and our true selves, that concept of our true self was kind of a, a novel thing for me. And anyway, and so I didn't, I would have never guessed at the time that he was going to have such an influence in my life and impact on our life. But um, I just kind of explored him more and started, you know, seeing what he wrote. And I, I can remember sitting in a bookstore and just flipping through Be Here Now and just kind of reading that cover to cover and putting it on a shelf. And then when I read Still Here, I was just blown away by that um, because that perspective was something new in my life. And um, Anyway, when I moved to Santa Fe in 2000, I had met uh, my husband, my now husband, and he had taken me up to the Taos Ashram. And I thought, wow, this place is incredible. And I want to learn how to sing the Hanuman Chalisa and, and be a part of this community, this beautiful community. And Ramdas had commissioned this beautiful Hanuman Murti, this giant sculpture of, of Hanuman, the great monkey god. And just sitting in front of that was such a powerful experience. I didn't know it at the time that Ram Das had this connection to the temple or that Ram Das commissioned this Murti. Um, but I just, you know, kept going up there and um, exploring that community and the Ram Das teachings and kind of connecting with um, what's called satsang or spiritual community. And then I just... I fell in love with him and and we had the great opportunity to meet him several times and sit at his feet and study with him. And, and um, I just feel so blessed. And my, my twin sister who I wrote the book with, she had a similar experience. Um, also grateful that, you know, she was at a friend's house and there was an older brother that had gone on grateful dead to her. And he came back with a copy of be here now. And she sat up one night and, and read that, be here now cover to cover same thing and um he's just been a huge part of our life and we come from a really culturally jewish family 
and Ram Dass did too. We just identified with a lot of his teachings. So we feel so blessed and grateful for everything he's um, done for our life and ourselves and our families and the work we do professionally. So, How transformative has it been for you personally from when you first wandered into where you are now? Is Do you feel like you're just a whole different person, even though the essence of you is the same the whole time? Yeah, and that's a really good question because um, when we started working on this book, we felt like we went into this deep dive, like a, a kind of a private retreat. What we did was we took 50 years of audio lectures and interviews. And so we were basically transcribing these um, and, you know, hitting replay and, you know, slow and hearing it real slow and, and typing this out ourselves. And so it allowed us to really reflect on, okay, well, when we were teens, when we came into this and where we are now, we're parents, we have four kids between the two of us, ages 14, 15, 16, 17, he's almost 18. Um, we were just like blown away. Like, look at the way we're incorporating these, these words, look at this teaching. What I remember when I first heard those words, I remember when we heard you know, this concept, because some of these concepts are pretty far out there, but even though they're really simple. Um, so in a way, it was like, you know, we had the opportunity to really intimately dive into this. And I do recommend that if anybody is, you know, searching for answers or meaning in their life, sit down and transcribe something a thousand times, you know, draw it, write it, it's it's a really really powerful meditation and and teaching, but I feel like um, you know again we're looking at these with fresh eyes. But as we were you know back in the '90s and early 2000s, but I feel like such a different person. I feel so evolved in in a number of ways, and yet we're still learning, right? But one of his teachers' teachings was, you know, Maharaji, his his teacher had said, you know, give up anger and I'll help you. And just these little things or feed people, serve people if you want to know God. And we've incorporated these and and we have deepened into these teachings and seen its effect on our lives and the way we interact with people. And, and so I feel really grateful for that. There's a lot of the essence, too, of being present in the moment, you know, be here now, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. choose love. I love feed people, be kind, always tell the truth. The same old tenets that have been around for thousands of years. And I like that you said they're simple, but they're not easy. Simple doesn't mean easy, but with practice, they get easier, I think. Mm -hmm. And at certain times in our life, we're challenged, even though you think that you've kind of mastered that, like... I love one of the teachings Ramdas says, like, if you think you're so enlightened, go spend a week with your family, you know, and, and in a way it is a good mirror and it shows us, you know, if you're living a, a life of, you know, intentional consciousness or self-reflection, you know, you think at certain points in your life that you kind of got a handle on something, but if you listen to these teachings, it kind of like replays in the back of your mind. And so it does allow you um, some opportunity to kind of look at look at how much more work you have to do. And one of the beautiful things that Ramdas really advocated for him and his friend Wavy Gravy was to incorporate a sense of humor about it and and kind of laugh at yourself and that cosmic giggle. And and so that has really um, 
you know, been kind of the lens that we've approached these teachings through. It's like, have a sense of humor about it, if you can. Some of the stuff in life is so heavy and and you don't want a spiritual bypass that at all. But um, but it's good to laugh at yourself every now and then. I love that you said spiritual bypassing. Explain what that is for people, because I see it a lot, especially in the new age community uh, to, and, and in life, because who wants to feel pain? And I see a lot of false gurus or people, even the people that can memorize the Bible, but live horribly, treat people horribly, but know every verse backwards. Yeah, but talk about spiritual bypassing. I think, and then I'd like to hear your definition of it too, because for me at this moment, what it means to me is, um, you know, explaining away or or making excuses for um not being spiritual enough. Oh, you're not, you're not holy enough. You're not, you know, that's your karma and you're meant to to get that teaching and you haven't done the spiritual work to to really get you to a higher place or and I think it is actually a, a toxic um component that a lot of the spiritual community has to deal with and and does some damage, especially to our kids and teens who might be learning the hard way that, you know, no, you didn't ask for this or no, no, your manifestation techniques weren't powerful enough or something like that. And where, where are you with that word today, Paul? I like the way you put that too, but for 10 easy payments of 1495, you can get your, all your credentials or get your badge. Like you're trying to become an Eagle Scout. You got to learn to tie the knots and go to all the, have you been to Esalen? Yes. How about Omega? Yeah. Right. Did you sit in meditation long enough? You haven't been, you're not, you haven't let go enough yet. I only eat food that's on the ground, you know? Okay. Wow. You're ultra super spiritual for me too. the spiritual. You had some good points on that. I see it too, as um, not letting anything land or feel it deeply and trying to stay way up in your head or it's uh you're you're trying to bypass it rather than feel it or deal with the complexities the contradictions the polarities you just way up oh oh everything's fine it's all perfect it's all meant to be or i'll watch the secret again or i'm not going to feel it or i'm not going to grieve because everything's one why should i grieve you want to honor the humanity of it all and the spiritual bypass is just when you use the spirituality like a drug rather than alcohol or whatever else or pharmaceuticals or work, shopping or any addiction, rather than just sit with the feelings. It's hard for our personalities to sit with being temporal. It's like, oh, we're doomed in flesh. And, and polarity is completely a crazy mess, a buffet. But that's what it is. And it's all over the place. It's chaos. And the one thing that's certain is there's nothing but uncertainty every second. Right. Really hard. And it, and it brings the feeling of suffering. And that is a hard emotion to feel. And I think one of the beautiful messages that Ramdas really conveyed was that suffering is going to happen. And that is what we are here to learn. We are here to learn about suffering and love. And if I could just read from the book really quick, just like this conversation is really bringing up this, this um, quote that Ramdas says, he says, I tell you that you really have to expect your heart to open and close like an accordion. And when it 
closes, it will open. And when it opens, it will probably close because behind closings and openings, here we are. And so instead of dramatizing your closed heart or your open heart, just allow it to be part of the process of life and be patient with yourself because it is very clear to me that the shadow is the greatest teacher of how to come to the light. I don't ask for suffering, but when it comes along, it certainly turns out to be grace, even though I'm begrudging it all the time. You and I live in a world where it's hard to keep your heart fully open because it hurts so bad, because there is so much suffering, but I will tell you, you can't afford to close it. And so when it becomes unbearable, you do what you do with another being, but you never put them out of your heart. And he goes on and on to talk about that. But Well read. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I like it because it's also, I hear in all that gentle self-love. Because the harshest critic in the world I deal with is inside of me. The lurking perfectionist. The, the critic's been there forever. I don't know. Yeah, it's the loudest voice. Hopefully that doesn't move forward. I know the ego doesn't, but that will be the plus side of shedding the costume. It's like, and that guy too. There you go. Into the dumpster. It's hard enough on the outside of the world. Try to be gentle with yourself. Be gentle with others. I was doing a meditation last night where I was just thinking of different people. And I just thought, oh, for whatever reason, my heart was real soft. And I just thought, oh, they're all just doing the best they can. They're just human beings. 99.9% I don't understand, and it's not personal. Or if they did something, I just, their lesson there is to have a boundary that's not so hard if you don't make it hard. And just have gentle approach. And what the real gift was is it just lightens my own inner load. The resentment, it's gone. It's just like, oh, they're just doing the best they can. And then I'm free to choose who I want to talk to like today or tomorrow or what I want to eat. And then we continue to work on ourselves because that's all we do. Yeah. And I, I love that. you know, our, our like great spiritual holy teacher, Ramdas, you know, I think it, I love the way he talked about himself just so openly and honestly. And he said, you know, in all his 50 years of preaching and teaching and yearning and learning, he didn't lose one neuroses, <laughs> you know, he still had these thoughts and the self-doubt and self-criticism. And yes, he did come into self-love and seeing himself as, as beyond, you know, these everyday neuroses, but, but even the greatest teachers who seem so wise and enlightened still struggle with these really human wrestlings that we all have. So it's kind of a universal human thing. So. Yeah. If you're in the costume, if you're a mammal in polarity, that's going to be your deal. If you accept that, though, a lot of self-manufactured suffering goes away. I feel like there's pain and things that hurt, but I expand the definition of suffering is to resisting what is. Now I am both have that and I'm trying to resist what is, which is futile and insane. And we still try to do it, but it's a defense mechanism. But if you just accept it, and uh, Byron Katie, who's been on the show a lot, wrote a book called Loving What Is and has those great four questions. You just got to, well, this is what is, you know, whether it's just going to a restaurant and it's closed. So you got to go eat somewhere else. It's not the end of the world, or maybe you don't. Have, and then that's a meditation on thank God you can eat or people we love pass away. It's hard. It hurts. It's inevitable, but we don't try to deny it. And balance. And, and I think Ram Dass's approach to that balance is identifying with the soul and not the role you know, making the best of the role or seeing beyond the role sometimes, or, 
or using the role to, to nurture yourself so that you can identify with the soul, which is beyond this everyday manushagas and 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 I love there was a, a section in the book outgrowing the costume. I am living and thinking these terms and and a massive disclaimer. You know I'm not I'm not even close to there's no such thing as perfection. It's just an ongoing like trying to throw a dart at a board or a, a ball through a loop. It, but I'll tell you this and I've talked about it on several shows. It's very interesting the shift because there was all, so much ego and it's still here now. I just it's not the main thing in charge all the time. And but it crushes the linear ambition. I always talk about this, where when you realize you are the universe, which is the title of your beautiful book, you really are. But then you have to act as a component of it. But what that hunger striving like an empty ghost in Buddhism, they they have the, the small mouse and the huge stomachs. They're never satisfied. We see it in capitalism and greed and the imbalances of the world. Cancer is a hungry ghost. And but if you become aligned and see yourself more as a part of it all and everything, so much of that stress, anxiety, that longing, especially from the unhealthy place, sort of drops away. It shows its face, but it doesn't have the power of, of you behind it. And then the mind is still active, but you realize it's just the mind. It's not, that's not me. It's the mind. It has some good ideas and has some absolute batshit crazy things it says and thinks. But I just, I'm the observer. I observe it and go, well, that's crazy, but yeah, maybe we should do this. And then there's the intuition, the hard wisdom. But anyone can live from that place. And it's just a matter of taking the time and learning. And then I think on a neuroplasticity level, building up those networks in your brain, the body just takes the cues from the central core essence. That was so beautiful. Well, way to word that. And I think that Ramdas, I mean, this is the most simple teaching, but it's so hard sometimes to access exactly what you were talking to, to pull yourself out of that hunger, state addiction, depression, you know, suicidal thoughts. It's all he says is identify with the witness. You know, that's the one simple thing. Like who's watching the watcher feeling these thoughts. And, and I think by tapping into that witness consciousness, which we can practice from a place of meditation or breath awareness and just noticing what you're noticing, you can do exact, you know, do exactly what you said and, and just know that you can't fall off the path. You are on the path. You are on the path to your soul, to the witness, to a beautiful spiritual life, a meaning of purpose. And um, the witness is that key component that will help us get there. That's my hack on my meditation. I just think, all right, because it's such, and the show opens and here's the screen. But I just keep reminding myself, now you're the one in the seat, literally the witnessing consciousness. That's my portal. I just sort of, that's what I do. I'm the watcher. Yeah. Yeah. The movie of me, as Krishnadas says. Uh, do you meditate on a regular basis? Do you have a practice? I have a walking meditation practice. I walk a lot um, and I do meditate. And at certain points in my life, I have done yoga and different practices. And I just be gentle with myself as I move through these and not be rigid in anything and know that it it will change. And I just keep going back to Ramdas. Um 
because one of the things, you know, he had this extensive meditation practice and Vipassana and different types of mindfulness practices. And in the last stages of his life, all he did was sit and watch the ocean. And that became his meditation practice and listen to the birds. And, 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 you know, it was an open eyed kind of um, just a real deep heart connection with the ocean. And, and I know right before the call, you and I were just talking about our love for the ocean. And and I, I love that. I love sitting by the ocean. And so wherever I am, I try and, and I incorporate a, a bit of a meditative practice, whether I'm, you know, walking past the trees or feet on the ground or in the morning or before. And that's kind of my practice right now currently. And I know it will change because it has so much throughout my life. So how about you? I do sit and I do love the walking along the beach, the sitting at the beach meditation, the biking. I have a garden out here and that's a great spot to just watch. Another one for me is to look at the stars at night because it's just so overwhelming. And I feel beyond small and to the point of laughing. And then, but I have a phrase, at least you're part of the big team. You know, it's like a, like a, I'm a quantum particle looking up at the infinite, whatever it is. I am the universe. Like, but damn God. And the, and the incredible miracle that I've enough consciousness to even ponder that thought here, you know, looking up or, and it'll sound a little crazy. It doesn't matter, but I can feel in these states that everything's alive. The big tree, the crows that follow me around, the hawk that lands in the middle of a deep thought and just stares at me it they're all props to me it's uh you know you hear the word simulation but it is some sort of incredible cosmic dream i'll never understand it why waste the time but i i do swim in it i feel like it's uh, something i can experience but i can't really come back and tell what i would tell people is dive into your own inner ocean and have your experience and then we can maybe talk about with inadequate words what that was like Right. I love that. And um, Maharaji Ramdas's guru, you know, he has this teaching sub ek all one. And it's exactly what you're describing. We are one with the plants, the that subatomic structure of the universe, the the seen and unseen, the the needles on the pine tree, like the people are opposition or our friends or whatever, we are all one. And I think the teaching that Ramda shares is waking up from the illusion of separateness is, is kind of also what we're here to do on this. It is that it's exactly that it's realizing that, you know, we are all connected. So I think that was beautifully worded, Paul. For all those around the world listening, we have a lot of great women who listen. You're a mom. How does all this apply to your day-to-day life as in motherhood and trying to keep the kids wherever they're doing, surrender, but you can't surrender too much because they might spend 82 hours in a row on the phone or who knows? How do you balance the two? Um, Any tips for those listening? Well, I think that one of the teachings that um, I've really tried to incorporate in my parenting is this idea of no expectations and and Ramdas does talk about that so eloquent when we did highlight that in the book but um 
you know, coming at it a little differently than our parents came at it and then their parents came at it and and realizing that there is a generational shift if we consciously can incorporate, you know, what would you have liked to see more of in your, the way you parent, you were parented and, and offering that to our kids. I feel like, um, and, and they laugh about it and they sometimes roll their eyes at us, you know, but, but it is a good thing to bring in, you know, modeling the teachings and, and the, the spiritual wisdom that you've gained and, and putting it into practice is something that has been, I think, a blessing for our kids. Um, we can, you know, include them in our rituals. You know, we still have a very Jewish household, but we also have this very um, sacred connection to the temple, the Epin Ashram, the ashram up in Talson. And I think that including them in um, practices and traditions that think you, you know, make you pause and think about God and our, our existence and why we're here and what is the meaning of life and all these existential questions that I think a lot of teens actually really think about, but they probably don't, you know, voice too much of has been a blessing for these kids. Um, they see us doing work service. They see us working with the dead and the dying. Julie and I both have a background in um, preparing Jewish bodies for burial. They see us being of service in different ways. They actually are also of service. I think it's a beautiful thing to see their school incorporate uh, service projects into the curriculum that really makes them think about what is the suffering going around, going on in, around our community right now. So I think as far as parenting, it's drop the expectations, give as much love as you can, encourage your kids, you know, on their own journey, know that they're okay as they are, they are accepted, they are loved, they are safe, um, they're supported. That's kind of where we've come from that place of unconditional love. Um, and I think they've, I think they've felt it. They're really great kids. So I hope that answers the question. That's a beautiful answer. Is there anything more life affirming than working with the dying? Um, knowing that you're dying yourself. I don't know. <laughs> you, you know, it is a beautiful thing. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that Ramdas would also say working with the dying has helped um, that helped him affirm life. Um, it's been a beautiful, um, 20 something years in doing this. And, um, you know, it's not even just working with the dying, it's working with the living and the surviving, you know? So, uh, that has also taught us a lot. And, um, I don't know, I don't know what I would do. Um, without that information in my life to, to make me so grateful to be alive and make the best of this life and, and to be there for the dying and the dead like that. I, I think it's been um, my true Dharma, my true path. And so I feel blessed to do that. Are you at peace with your own infinitely assured passing as the Amy character in the dream? I think about that a lot. I, I want to say yes because ultimately I am. 
Um, but at the same time, I have attachments. I, I want to be here for my kids. I want to see grandkids if they choose that. I want to do as much in the world that I can to make a positive impact and meaningful difference. I, I have attachments like that. I very human in that way. And at the same time, if I died tomorrow, um, I think those that I love would know that I love them. And, um, I would leave a legacy of love and and beautiful connections with the people I've, you know, had the blessing of of working with in this world. Um, but but I'm human, and I I don't know. I I'm a, I would say yes and no. It's so honest, and that's like walking on that high wire between the two buildings because I feel like if you ask me sort of abstractly, yeah, I'm totally at peace. But not today. I have like all kinds of cool stuff going on and I've got money in the bank, man. I don't want to leave any money behind. I want to go spend it on travel and food and give it away and die broke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, hundreds of thousands of debts to some evil bank. All right. But then there's other times I got to say it's more fleeting. I'll see the insanity of the world or somebody who kill a beautiful animal or God only knows what the war in the Ukraine or my knee is just sore. I my back and I'm like, I think I've had a good run. Where's <laughs> Where's that spaceship? Uh, let's get out of here. Like Ernest Hemingway. Yeah. And then something beautiful happens and I'm like, or, oh, I'm so glad I'm here. And I think that's the dichotomy. If I'm honest, I don't want to act ethereal. Like, oh, it could happen anytime. It's inevitable, but I can't. I And I feel like that's out of my control. I want to make sure I live and be loving today. Doesn't mean I have to never stop moving. I think stillness. I'm trying to go more deeper than horizontal. But just... Wow. I do feel like I've already had a great life. I hit the lottery and now it's house money, so to speak. And I just want to try to give as much healthy love, not be a martyr, as I can and take care of myself and just be very generous, be a gracious winner is the way I think of it. Gracious winner. I love that. But it's definitely hard and we're human. We have attachments. Can I, can I read to you what Ram Dass says about death, though? Yes, I love your readings. Yeah. Death is the biggest change we'll face. I thought a lot about my own death and was concentrated on what happens after that. It was part of my spiritual practice. I knew a time would come when I would say, all right, now I'm ready. In the meantime, I thought the best thing I could do to prepare for my death is to open my heart, quiet my mind, let go of my expectations, and while I'm waiting, do what I can to relieve suffering. He says, which was also my approach to life. And I think that's so true and so hard, but, you know, let's mean, live, live a meaningful life right now while we can. And we know it's inevitable. We will all die. Um, and, and yet, what can we do with this one precious life? And I think we're all kind of, if we're tapping into it, we're all kind of contemplating, like, am I living a meaningful life? What is my purpose here in the world? And how do I make the most of it while I'm here? Shifting gears slightly to a little more linear stuff, you've mentioned a few times your connection to Jewishness, Jewish heritage. How are you dealing with the sudden resurgence, resurgence of all this anti-Semitism that I'm seeing everywhere and the mainstreaming of it? And to me, it's just hopelessly, tragically sad. It's also something we want to keep an eye on. I love history. I've had so many historians on. And this is how it starts in the past. It starts with words. They don't build the camp the day one or the gas chambers. But it's just like, 
I keep thinking we're moving forward. And then sometimes it feels like we're just like in pants labyrinth. It's like all this journey. And then we're looks sort of like where we were, but as someone who's mentioned it already a few times, what, what's it like for you on the personal level inside of you when you see, read, or hear this kind of stuff? I think it's heartbreaking, honestly, but I'm also a realist and an optimist at the same time. And I feel like, you know, we saw this in 2016, you know, the pendulum swings, right? And so I feel hopeful that the narrative will shift in a way that rallies around the minority groups um, and the marginalized groups and strengthens a civil and supportive discourse and you know, we'll have pockets of this um, regression and terrible, and I'm labeling it as terrible because in my view it is, but, um, um, you know, moments of real disappointment, danger, and we will also have a rallying around the minority groups, marginalized groups, like I said, but to where policy changes, people enact um, protections um, against hate speech and security is strengthened and people see just the awful, horrid, dangerous rhetoric and consequences and and remedy it before it is even worse. And that's just my hope as a parent too. And, and to see kids, you know, because this is our next generation that will be leading the world. And, and I, and I'm hopeful that I feel the same way with the LGBTQ plus groups. And I feel the same way, you know, with um, the black lives matter movement and all these different groups that have been strengthened um, as a result of these fringe minority. And I'm hopeful and also grateful that this, this hate speech, these extremists are the minority. And I hope it stays that way. And I hope that the response is powerful and loud. And, um, you know, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's heartbreaking. I don't want it to be normalized. I don't want it to be, I don't know. I, I'm still wrestling with it. I, I'm I'm sort of, tuning out the Twitter rhetoric, but I'm also real tapped into it. I see politicians repeating it. I see, you know, and the kids are watching, they're all watching. And I, and I'm, I know they're also watching the movement who is reacting to that and acting against that. And that keeps me hopeful and optimistic. I hear your heartbreak. And it's, it is like, I want to cry about it. It's awful. It's, it's a powerful, um, very loud and obnoxious, dangerous violence that it's sad to witness that here we are in 2022 and it's still a thing and it brings up a lot of fears. And I also think, you know, there was just a recent study done. There's so many people who don't even know what the Holocaust was today. And so, you know, what is the saying? Like, you know, history will repeat itself if we if we don't remember it. And 
we're seeing that now. This is what it looked like back then. You know, what's the difference then from, you know, Ford's anti-Semitic newsletters that he put out to Twitter sponsoring right-wing hate? And so it's a time we're living in. And yet we have kids and we need to instill in them decency, common courtesy, value, speaking up, you know, first they came for, for them. You know, it's just, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot. And, um, and it's hard to hold. And I think that kids need some guidance and some real leaders. And I, I do see the organization stepping up. Mm, Beautiful and heartfelt. And you made a great point. Uh, We were talking about history. If you don't learn history, you're doomed to repeat it. If we don't know what's going on, you're easily manipulated. History teaches us. You don't want to dwell on the past, but definitely learn from it. Even the Lion King had that when he hit the lion in the head with stick. And he swung it again. He ducked. He said, see, you learned. So we have to learn. And I like that you included other groups. There's nothing that's always, it's bugged me my whole life. I don't like bullies who pick on the marginalized and the weak, who punch down. And it's a sign of insecurity and weakness. It's classic fascism. So it's it's heartbreaking. And I just, I keep trying to be a part of a better world. And uh, there's a lot to be thankful for, but I'm also cosmically disappointed on an hourly basis. That's why there's no television in the house. There's no TV news. Otherwise, for all my oneness with humanity in, in the universe, I would have been found hanging years ago just if I watched television news. So... And along those same lines, because I always think about this, I'm not a parent, and you are, because you you have a literal living investment in the future. You're obviously very conscious. You're connected to the earth. You're living out there out west in a beautiful place. Epic droughts. We're watching climate breakdown, climate emergency. We've had all the top climate scientists on countless times. What do you feel? Also, you're a woman. I feel like you're divine feminine. You're connected to Mother Earth. What are we doing here with the environment? I don't worry about the earth. I think the earth would just take a million year break and recreate some cool stuff. But us as as a species, I feel like we're hurtling towards extinction in our arrogance and our ignorance, uh, drunk on fossil fuels. You know, a lot of old people may not care, but I feel like the children in the seventh generation rule of the Iroquois is not being thought of here. Do you have any feelings on all of this? You must have tapped into some stuff on this, especially with this Ram Dust stuff. I think about it all the time. I feel like um, nature is my spiritual happy place. Bob Marley said total destruction is the only solution. And that is a terrible thought, you know. But um, Ram Dass says it's those with equanimity who will will be those that will help us in, you know, these chaotic moments. And um, I think that, like I was saying earlier, like, yes, I'm a realist, but I'm also an optimist. You know, in just a few gen- generations, we'll be gone. New technologies will be developed. I hope they'll use that to their advantage to help heal the earth. And and it, like you said, like, I'm not worried about planet Earth. I'm a little bit worried about planet Earth right now. but. Um, I am hopeful, like this generation, this upcoming generation is amazing. And hopefully they'll have the tools and techniques, whether it is, you know, mind and heart or technology, or I don't know what, some kind of other life force that will be there to guide them along the way. Like what will their 
experience be like? I think about that. Let's think about, you know, our great grandchildren. What are they inheriting? I, I think schools are doing an amazing job starting to incorporate curriculums that do look at climate change and climate catastrophe. And, um, you know, now there's like ecotherapists, eco or grieving for the earth is, is a real thing. You know, people are in therapy about this. And going back to what you were saying about bullying, look at, look at this. Like, not only is there bu bullying, a, you know, um, we're bullying the earth. We're, we're, we're raping the earth and laying our, our pipe into her. You know, this is like a gross I think about this a lot. It's disgusting to me. And she's so precious and she's so beautiful and she's so giving to us. And and everyone, it seems that is taking it for granted that we have this beautiful planet that we're on. But I'm also optimistic that, you know, 100, 200 years from now, there could be a total change in policy, in practices, in approaches to living with the planet because because of whether it's a survival technique or because of whether it's a real harmony i don't know but something is driving a change we feel it deeply we see it coming um and i think it's a real learning experience i am um comfortable knowing that uh, you know our time on this earth is short and time is um a real transformative experience for a, num a number of uh, generations to come. And I, I don't know what will happen, but I, I'm with you, Paul. I think about it a lot. My heart breaks and my heart is filled. I don't know what will come, but I think with equanimity and neutral awareness and a real connection, like we were saying earlier, as we grow in connection to the planet and each other, I do think that there is the capacity for real healing and change. And I am optimistic and I'm just staying there, whether it's, you know, false hope or not, I don't know. Why not? It feels better. And by the way, just why create bad vibes? I literally don't always think it. I feel these waves of the earth of the animals and trees and, you know, because it is an assault. I like the way you personalize that it is a living thing and it's so generous. And the young people are totally different. I mean, even as young as 10, I've talked to them and they totally know what's going on. And the teenagers and Greta and all those activists, and they are pissed and they should be because we're, you know, the older folks are leaving them a mess and a hole to dig out of. Let's just hope they can. I hope it doesn't turn into a Mad Max apocalypse type of thing. Yeah, I would, I would abandon chip immediately at that point. But it's uh, we. What we can do is just try to spread the word, like we're doing here today, and and meditate and bring loving beings into our world, or be kind, and and all that's the best we can do. Just look for the helpers, like um, Mister Rogers said, you know, and and be and be the helpers and be the change. I don't know. I see a lot of kids today. Um, getting on board like you said like Greta like it's amazing to see what they're doing they're filing lawsuits against the government on their behalf already like who would have done that 50 years ago even you know so we'll we'll stay hopeful do you want 
But leave us with a beautiful reading and take us out with maybe something close to your heart in this incredible book. How about this one? Because we, this, I literally just opened to it. Okay. Because here we go from bullying and environmental destruction and getting sucked into technology and iPhones and checking out and Anyway, Ram Dass says, this culture is intrigued with technology, multitasking, communication, sex, drugs, etc. And it's hard to look within when the pizzazz of the culture pulls you outward. Because things are so available, you can use your awareness to go inward, to find your inner guru, your true spiritual self. You have to look within. One of the doorways to that higher self is through the cultivation of your intuitive wisdom, the intuition, the impeccable intuitive action has to come from a blending of humanity and divinity. As you learn to listen to and trust your intuition, you will find a quiet place in the heart of your being that is wise and can guide your actions intuitively. We are wise because we see the whole incarnation that's wisdom that you can understand by intuition. Trust your intuition. Listen to your heart. Always trust your inner voice. You've been listening to the What Matters Most podcast, a 100% listener-supported program. If you feel inspired, please go to our Patreon page, at www.patreon.com backslash what matters most and join our family. So until the next time, stay inspired and in the light. <laughs>